You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is is Jake, and I'm, uh, I'm just so glad that you're joining us today, especially if you're visiting for the first time. We just love that you're here with us. Um, we are uh, continuing our series that we've been in for a while now called The Upper Room Discourse. And in this, uh, this series, we're, we're looking at Jesus' last set of teachings that he gave his disciples right before he would go to the cross and die. And so uh, these the set of teachings found in John chapter 13 through 17. And so since November, we've been walking through this and uh, we come today to the end of chapter 15. Now, just a heads up real quick. Uh, next week, we're going to hit pause on this series and we're going to begin a new series that's, that is uh, focused on prayer which was Jesus's favorite spiritual practice. I think that's safe to say that. And so I'm really looking forward to this series on prayer. It's going to coincide with our 28 days of prayer and fasting that we're going to be doing as a church from February 5th to uh, March 4th. And so I am extremely excited about this season that we're about to enter into as a church. You might be like, well, I don't know prayer and fasting. I don't know if I understand as a pastor why you, that would get you excited, but I don't know if that gets you. Yeah, I get it. I think God's going to do some awesome things in your life and in our church during this season. I just cannot wait. So just a heads up, we're hitting pause on upper room discourse for, uh, for about five weeks. We'll pick back up with chapter 16 in March. But like I said, today we'll wrap up chapter 15 by looking at verses 22 through 27, and Mary is going to read those for us. So Mary, come on up, and if, uh, if you're able, why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John 15, 22 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you got it. Thank you, Mary. All right. Well, uh, the, uh, the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, uh, who authored the Gospel of John. And when he began this Gospel, as I read an account of Jesus' life, he uh, summarized Jesus' ministry, his experience in this way. John chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. He said, The true light, speaking of Jesus, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, th those uh, verses uh, tragically capture Jesus' uh, lived experience. That Jesus, uh, who through all things were created through and for, as Colossians 1 says, uh, came into the world that he had created and he was not received. He was uh, rejected by those in the world, not recognized by them. And so Jesus, on the night before he would go to the cross, which is you know, when the upper room discourse takes place, he begins talking about that. And he says, okay, I have come, and at the very end of my public ministry, when I take stock on the state of things, the people I have come to, because I love them, because I want them to know me, to know the Father, because I want them to, to be reconciled to me. I've come, I love the people I've come to. They have heard what I had to say. They have seen my miracles. And the result is, they have hated me and my Father. Can you imagine what Jesus is feeling on this night? And just kind of put yourself in his shoes, or sandals, if you will. That's a cheesy pastor joke right there. <laughs> the end of his ministry, take stock. It says, as it is, they have, they have hated me. They've hated my father. The people that he loves, the people he's come to. You would think maybe that he was extremely sad, <laughs> down, depressed, upset perhaps even distraught. But what's interesting to me is that he wasn't any of those things. I mean, I'm sure that there was some sadness about the fact that the, the world that he loved had rejected him. But on this night, I would say that Jesus was actually not distraught, but he was actually full of hope. He was full of hope because he knew that this was not the end of the story. That he knew what he was about to do next, and which was that he was about to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world so that they could be reconciled to him. That he would rise again on the third day to inaugurate the renewal of the world. And he knew that he was about to send two witnesses into the world who would testify about him so that those who had up to that point rejected him could hear the good news of who he is and what he had done, and they would have the opportunity to receive him, to believe in his name, and become the children of God, as John 1.12 says. See, Jesus, on this night, took stock on the state of things, but it didn't bring him to despair because he knew the story wasn't over. He had hope that things were really going to change and that many would come to know him. And at this morning, what we see in this passage, especially the last two verses, 26 and 27, is, is part of the reason for Jesus' hope. That he had hope because after he died and rose again, he knew that he was sending these two 
witnesses into the world to testify about him so that the world could hear the good news of who he is and what he had done for them. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about who those two witnesses are and uh, what he has to say about them. So if you will, go back to verse 26 and 27, and let's read. Uh, let's just read verse 26. We'll look, start with just the first, the first witness. Um, he says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, uh, okay, so who's the first witness? The Spirit, right? The Advocate, the, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that, that Jesus is going to send the Spirit, the Father will send the Spirit to come and be with us for a few reasons, a couple things to say about the Spirit here that I just want to draw your attention to. And I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be brief, try to be brief, um, because uh, when talking about the Spirit, I already, if you were with us in John chapter 14, we, we, Jesus, is, that's where he introduced the, the, that he was going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. And we talked about that for a little while, talked about the Spirit there. And then in John chapter 16, when we get to that in March, Jesus is going to elaborate a lot on, um, especially this aspect of the Spirit that he's coming in the world to testify. And so I'm not going to belabor this, but let me just point out two things here that I don't want you to miss about what Jesus says here about the Spirit. And the first is, is just really blatant. It's that the Spirit has come to testify about Jesus, right? Y'all see that? Well, here, here's why that is a big deal. See, in John chapter 14, and then in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us that the Spirit comes to testify uh, about Jesus to two different groups. John 14 Jesus says that the Spirit has come to testify about him to his followers or to his disciples. So in John chapter 14, uh, verse 26, Jesus says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's Jesus' promise to his disciples that all of the training, all of the teaching that he had given them over the three years they had spent with him would not be lost on them. That the, that the Spirit would remind them and would teach them all that Jesus had said so that they could live in light of it and so they could pass it on to others in a way that's accurate, in a way that's complete. Now, real quick, where do we find their teachings and that they pass on to others? In the New Testament, right? That's, that is uh, their, the apostles' teachings that the Spirit reminded them everything that Jesus had taught and said, and that they captured it and passed it down throughout so that it could be passed down through the generations, that we would have the revelation of who Jesus is through the inspiration of the Spirit. So just a quick aside, that's one of the reasons why it's so good for you to open up your Bibles during the week and read uh, about Jesus, because this is the main way that the Spirit testifies to us now about who Jesus is and what he has done. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way. And so anyways, just quick aside there, it's so good to open up your Bibles and read this so the Spirit can testify to us, because that's one of the groups that the Spirit has come to testify about Jesus, to his disciples, and then through his disciples, through the word, 
to each of us. Now, in John chapter 16, we learn about another group that the Spirit has come to testify about Jesus to, and that is the world. See, in John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, When he, referring to the Spirit, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And this will result in some people who have belonged to the world being convicted of their sin and coming to a realization that Jesus is their Savior. We get an example of this in Acts chapter 2. If you're familiar with that passage, that begins with the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes on the, the, the followers of Jesus, and they, they are moved, empowered to, to go out like, into the streets and start telling people about Jesus. And Peter, he preaches the very first sermon after the resurrection of Christ, and, and he uh, you know, just boldly declares the good news of the gospel. And these are the people he's talking to, the people in Jerusalem that just mere weeks before crucified Jesus, the people who had, want, had literally rejected Jesus, who hated him and the Father. But at this point in time, Peter is proclaiming the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he did die, that he died for their sins, that he rose again. He's declaring that, and we're told 3,000 people turn to Jesus repented of their sins, and put their faith in Christ. Now, why in the world? Like, how in the world did 3,000 people do that? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 tells us why. It says that as the message was being proclaimed, the people were cut to their heart. Cut to their heart. Well, that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings conviction and it softens the heart to receive the good news of who Jesus is. To steal a line from pastor and author Tim Keller, he he would say, uh, it's the Spirit who made the people's heart cuttable so that they could receive the good news. See, as the, the apostles or the followers of Jesus proclaimed the good news, the Spirit was at work in and through them to help people receive it to turn to Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. He testifies about Jesus, both to his followers and to the world. And friends, that's a big reason why Jesus was not distraught on this night before he went to the cross. Because he knew that the story wasn't over. He knew that after his death, after his resurrection, the Spirit was coming and the Spirit was going to testify about him because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit, in a lot of ways, is like a spotlight just shining on Jesus, helping people see Jesus, who he is, what he's done to come to know him. See, Jesus knew that many would hear and receive the good news and become children of God because The Spirit was coming. First thing, that's the first thing I want you to see about the Spirit. The Spirit came to testify. The second thing, real quick, that I want you to see here is that the Spirit not only comes to testify about Jesus, but the Spirit comes to you. Spirit comes to you, as Jesus says here. When the Advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father. Now, I point this out because here's what I want you to to grasp. Jesus isn't saying that the Spirit who comes 
into the world, like generally or like kind of just in a, in a sense, but he, he, he ties it intimately to his followers, that there's this intimate connection of the Spirit coming and you, follower of Jesus. So the Spirit comes to you. The point being that the Spirit, though he can work beyond us, beyond followers of Jesus, his primary means and the ones that he has specifically come to are followers of Jesus so that the Spirit will testify about Jesus through you. That's the primary meaning. We see that in Acts 2. We see that in Acts 1, verse 8. This is Jesus when right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father after the resurrection. He says to his disciples, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Spirit not only testifies about Jesus, but he also empowers us to testify about Jesus. That's why the Spirit comes to you, which is why uh, the first witness here that Jesus says is coming is the Spirit. But it's also why the second witness that Jesus says he's sending into the world are his followers. It's like you and me and his, other, his disciples. Because the Spirit comes to you to enable us to testify about him so that those in the world that he loves but have rejected him up to this point can come to know him and find life and life to the full in him. See, uh, Jesus says here, Verse 27 of John 15. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus' followers are the second witnesses. Now, um, I just a second ago, I'm sure you caught it, said that that means you are the second witnesses, right? But you might read that and say, well, no, no, wait, Jake, come on. Doesn't Jesus say that it's his first disciples that are the second witnesses? Like, I, can, I, can I get off the hook of that, right? Because, like, he says that, you know, I'm sending you uh, because you've been with me from the beginning. And, uh, you know, we haven't been with Jesus from the beginning. Just his original disciples were with Jesus from the beginning. So, so may, maybe that only applies to, to them. If, do you feel that way? Do you, do you, are you looking for that loophole? I understand if you are. Um, and if this, friends, if this is the only verse that we had on this, then, then I think it'd be fair to uh, keep this only uh, specifically referring to Jesus' original disciples. Because he does say, because you've been with me from the beginning. However, uh, this isn't the only time Jesus talks about this. In fact, in John chapter 17, which is on the same night as Jesus saying these words in John 15, he, he prays and he's praying to the Father. And in that prayer, he begins praying for his disciples, his original 12 disciples. Or he, says, he says, you know, Father, like they're in the world. I'm not taking, asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you that they would be sent into the world so that others can believe 
And then he begins praying for those who will believe through the message of the disciples, through the testimony of his disciples. And the people who will believe, eventually that means that he's, he's praying for you and for me. We are those that have come to believe if you're a follower of Jesus through the message of the disciples. And here's what Jesus prays for us in John 17. He prays that through our unified witness, the world would come to believe that the Father sent the Son. See, uh, Jesus prays that we would go into the world and in our unified message, our unified witness, others would believe through our testimony. The apostle Paul picks up on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, amongst many other places. And, and he says this, that, um, that he, referring to God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That we, and in this passage it's referring to all Jesus' followers, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so, uh, God, we're making his appeal through us to be reconciled to God. That we implore you, he says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, friends, this is, this, this applies, I should say, to both uh, Jesus' disciples, but also to you and to me. And certainly, in one sense, John 15, verse 27, that's his, he's saying, Peter, James, John, you guys, y'all are going to testify about me. But he's also saying, and your other, my other followers throughout the ages, you too must testify about me. That in a sense, you could say, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Or perhaps, a little more pointedly say, this is your mission if you choose to obey it. Because this is a command. You must testify. Now, um, I get, friends, that this is a command that many of us don't want to obey. That for many of us, this feels like a job that we've been given by Jesus that we didn't want and we don't feel that we're any good at doing. And, and that's, <laughs> the, I get like, no one likes that. No one likes that. No one likes to, being given a job that you don't want and you don't feel like you're that good at doing. I get that. I, in fact, I get that so much that I'm going to share my most embarrassing story of all time with you. Just to show you that I get that. Just to show you that I understand what it's like to have a job that you don't want and you don't feel like you're any good at doing. See, because my senior year of high school, the place I worked for two years went out of business. And I worked at this grocery store. I loved this grocery store. And yet it goes out of business. And so halfway through my senior year, I'm jobless and I need to find a job because I'm saving up for college. And so I apply to work at this local Tex-Mex restaurant, Serrano's. And I, 
I hate this job. I don't want this job. I wanted my old job. I don't want to be doing this job. And then uh, the make matters uh, just much, much worse. I, it turns out I'm terrible at this job. I am, I am an awful waiter. And one of the reasons why I'm an awful waiter is because I lacked any confidence to carry the tray right. See, because, you know, any good, competent waiter carries the tray up here, right? But I, I was always afraid of spilling things. And so I carried the tray like this. And if you carry the tray like this, you're a dork and people don't tip you well. I learned that. And so like after two months, and I'm like a long time, after like two months, I finally built up the confidence to start carrying the tray the right way up here. And, and soon after I started doing that, one day I went to work and there were these, I was given a, a 12 top, table of 12 people. They were sitting out in the patio I went out and took their orders, their drink orders, went to the bar. They were all ordering stuff in the bar, beer, margaritas, all that kind of stuff. And so I got their drink orders, and I went to carry it out to them at the patio, carrying the tray like I know what I'm doing, but I'm scared to death. I somehow managed to get through the patio doors, very tricky, without spilling. I get outside, and then I realize I don't have a tray stand. And I'm scared. I'm too scared to go back through the doors to try to, you know, get a tray stand because I'm afraid I'm going to spill. Plus, you look bad walking out and working, walking back. In, you know, so I'm just like, no, nah, I'm going for it. So I, I, I go to the table, and I've got people sitting in front of me, and I go to take the first drink off the tray, and I do this. <laughs> the whole tray comes crashing down. As it's falling, I feel falling. I swipe up to try to catch as much as I can. It's beer. Margarita goes straight into my eyes. I can't see. Everything falls. Broken glass. People are soaked. It's a whole thing. It's, it's, it's terrible. I'm apologizing profusely as I try to wipe stuff out of my eyes. The table, they're like super cool. They're like, oh man, don't worry about it. Just, just bring us another round. No, no worries. Give us a towel and bring us another round. So I go inside. I grab them a towel. I go back, reorder the stuff. And I really wish the story ended there. <laughs> but it doesn't. So I grab the second tray of drinks. I walk back outside. I'm so flustered by what just happened. I forget the tray stand again. I kid you not, I walk to the other side of the table. Again, soak everybody on the other side of the table. Same deal, feel it falling, swipe up, beer in my face, can't see, alcohol stinging my eyes, I'm apologizing. <laughs> the table's not so cool this time. They are uh, not, not happy. I think someone mentioned something about candid camera and uh, like, you know, whatever. You know, let's talk to your manager. My manager happened to see the whole thing. And so I, you know, after apologizing, walk right by him. He's in the, like, by the door. And I just say, um, I'm headed home. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> 
But just to like make matters just a little bit worse, when, when I go outside of the restaurant, like remember, they're sitting on the patio. Like I parked right by the patio. <laughs> so like I just like get in my car and I'm like, you know, turning it in, turning it on. I'm looking right at them. They're looking at me. I'm looking at them as I'm like backing out and driving away. I have no idea what happened to those people. I, I was a. I know what it's like to have was have a job that you don't want and you don't feel like you're any good at doing. And friends, I I, I know that m- many of us Jesus followers feel that way about being given the job of testifying about Jesus. But I think that one of the main reasons we feel that way about this role is because we have in our mind a wrong idea of what it means to testify about Jesus. See, uh, the word testify that Jesus uses here it just simply means to bear witness. To bear witness. In fact, if you're reading in the ESV, that's what it says, to bear witness instead of testify, to bear witness. And to bear witness is just to tell others about what you've seen or experienced. That's what it means to bear witness, to tell others about what you've seen or, you, or what you've experienced. Which is to say, and this is important for you to hear, this, this, this is, means that Jesus isn't sending us out to be salespeople, that we're not salespeople for Jesus, that our job is not to craft a perfect pitch and sell people on the gospel. It's not to close the deal with the right technique or emotional manipulation. We aren't called, friends, to be salespeople for Jesus. No, we're we're called to be witnesses. And as witnesses, we are sent to bear witness to what we have seen Jesus do in our lives and what we have experienced Jesus doing in our lives and in our community so that others whom Jesus loves and died for can have the opportunity to get to know him through you. So that they can find life in him and life to the full. That we bear witness, and not alone, but with the Spirit of God who he's given us to also testify through us. To tell them about what Jesus has been doing in our lives and what he's done in our lives. So they can get to know Jesus through you. See, the early Christians did this that changed the world forever. 120 followers of Jesus praying in a room in Jerusalem in Acts 1 became arguably the most influential movement in the history of the world as a result of the Spirit and Jesus' followers bearing witness about him. Michael Green, a famous scholar from Oxford, and his book Evangelism in the Early Church makes the case that 80% or more of, quote, uh, evangelism in the early church was done by ordinary Christians. Not the apostles, not Christian celebrities or evangelists like Billy Graham, just ordinary Christians telling people about the impact Jesus was having on their life 
and explaining things like why they honored their wife and their children, why they cared for the poor, why they gathered for worship, why they lived the way that they did. So Jesus calls us to testify, to be his witness. And just like a witness in a courtroom, uh, just like a witness in a courtroom, that means your role is not to speculate uh, or tell people what you you think or what uh, you infer, (laughs) but to tell people about your firsthand experience. That what you have personally seen and experienced, that's, that's your role as Jesus' witness. That's what Jesus has sent you to do. But what that means, brothers and sisters, is that we're not going to be very effective at all in bearing witness about Jesus unless we have some firsthand actual experience. See, unless you truly know Jesus and have seen him working in your life, unless you have experienced his love and had your identity changed by him, unless you have had your attitude toward things like money and status changed by him, unless you have received his peace and have begun to be freed from worry and anxiety, you won't have a lot to say. In other words, we're not going to have much to testify about if we have not let Jesus really begin to change us and set us free. The Anglican pastor and author John Stott years ago wrote a little book on Christian testimony. And he made a statement that has convicted me for years. And because uh, misery loves company, I'm going to share it with you right now. John Stott says, nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue of a Christian than the secret poverty of our spiritual experience. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue of Christians than the secret poverty of our own spiritual experience. And friends, like what he's saying there is what I'm, I'm trying to say here. That is, you're not going to have much to say if all you have is a set of beliefs in your head about Jesus or about the gospel. No, what moves us to testify about Jesus is when he is and when the gospel is a beautiful reality in your life. For when that happens, when that happens, then you will be excited to open your mouth and unseal your lips and loosen your tongue to tell others about him. For friends, that's the natural impulse. When you see something, when you experience something that's beautiful, you're moved to tell others about it. Like Krista and I, when we have this rhythm where every year and at the beginning of the year, we try to get away as a couple, just me and her, to, to, to look back over the last year and, 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 and kind of reflect on it and then to pray and plan into the coming year. And so we did that at the beginning of January this, this month. And um, 
we would do, we were in the woodlands, staying at a hotel there, and we had there was this restaurant that had been recommended to us, this Cajun food restaurant. And so we we went to this place, and it was like the best meal I've ever had in my life. It was unbelievable. We're, we're sitting there in this restaurant eating this meal, and I, it's this barmudi barmundi fish uh, with on a on a crab cake. And with shrimp on it and this sauce that was absolutely unbelievable. Like, I mean, I could go on and on. It was, it was incredible. It was so good that we're eating. And next to us, you know, about halfway into the meal, another couple comes and is seated at a table next to us. And like, I never do this. But they're, they're talking and I hear over here that they, this is their first time there, as it was for me. And, and so they're like, well, what should we order? And I just go, y'all have got to get this. This is the best thing you will have ever tasted in your mouth. And then I turn, I turn back to Krista and she's just cracking up because I never do stuff like that. And, and, and I said, no, no, I had to let them know. This is just so good. And, and I kid you not, Krista says to me, uh, this is going to be a sermon illustration, isn't it? <laughs> oh, what it's like to be married to a pastor right there. The, uh, but like, yes, natural impulse. When, you, when something is incredibly good, it's beautiful, it's amazing, you tell other people. You tell other people about it. You have to share it. Friends, this, this is one of the reasons why I am just so extremely excited about our 28 days of prayer and fasting that's coming up. Now, this series that we're going to do on prayer and this time that we're going to give to, uh, to, to, to joining together, to really draw near to God. Now, I believe that he will draw near to us. In fact, that's what he promises in the book of James. And that in this time, as we draw near to him, I think that he is going to move powerfully. I anticipate him moving powerfully in your life. That you would see him, you would grow in your deep, deep, and he would deepen your awareness of him, his love for you, his beauty, that who you are in him, that you're his beloved child. That as you talk to him, as you listen to him, as you spend time with him, he'll move. And he'll answer prayers. And as a result, you will be growing, you will be moved, and you'll want to tell people. You'll have something to say, to bear witness of who he is and what he's doing in your life so that others can begin to know him too through you and through the Spirit's testimony through you. I'm really excited about this season, and I just really want to encourage you to begin to prepare and to choose to really lean into it. Because you're, you're his witness. And Jesus has sent you to testify about him. But we're just not going to have much to say unless Jesus is a living, beautiful reality in our lives. I trust that the next season, he will become all the more for that, uh, that for you. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.